Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Feit, hier ist Stefan Bienkowski. And also he is Chris Williams. Guys, uh, first of all, a warm welcome. Um, guest first, or should we even say guest, permanent member of the board, Chris Williams. Chris, how's it going, buddy? Very good, thanks. I'm like a bad smell now. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I miss you too, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're doing well too. Um, Stefan, how's it going with you? Yeah, doing very well. Trying to wake myself up after that Bayern Munich game, but uh, I'm sure I'll kick into the gear and uh, be up for it. It was a good, it's a good weekend of football, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we have a lot to talk about. I'm glad we have this trifecta going again. Um, you know, this feels almost like we're going a bit back to the roots. Chris, as I said, uh, as you said, you're like a bad smell. You're not going away anymore. Um, I do understand you're going on holiday next week, though. And so is Stefan. I'm going to be left all alone. Uh, yeah, I'd say sorry about that, but I'm not. <laughs> no, it's good to be back. I am going to Google Trifactor. Have you just, are we just making words up now? Yeah, up? pretty okay, much. It's a great word. I'm going to drop it into my new Substack little plug there. Do that. Edit, you can link back to the Game Pressing Podcast. Um, Manu Fied, a copyright. I think that's a little C. <laughs> um, but boys yeah we do have a lot to talk about it's been an interesting match day uh, match day two um, in the books and yeah I guess let's don't be too much around the bush um, let's jump right into it after this break this episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet online. Bet online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wages, including live betting in your favorite casino and card games. Available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE. That is B L E A V. Believe for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Well, boys, the game did start on on Friday, um, as Chris often says or refers to. That feels like a lifetime ago. Stefan um, Leipzig against Stuttgart. We praised Stuttgart at home in the special show, uh, and and they get absolutely smashed. Um, little caveat here that. Maybe it's a little bit too early to praise or also dismantle teams. Um, but yeah, thoughts on this one? Yeah, a few thoughts. Um, just to begin with, I think we're probably going to have to be very descriptive of this game since the Bundesliga website has decided to only offer one minute and seven seconds of highlights to the game, uh, which is obviously to absolutely no use for anyone else. Uh, I think that averages out at maybe like 10 seconds per goal. Um, so we might have to literally spend 90 minutes going blow for blow so people who miss this game get any sort of coverage of it um, anyway sorry uh, run over second run um, is something that's a lot it's, 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 it's a pet peeve of mine it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of my classic old man complains about modern football things but both goals they're both opening goals in this game came about from goalkeepers and defenders struggling under pressure and it's 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 just something that I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's, it feels like this kind of mantra. It feels like this kind of idea that a dogma. Actually, that's the better word I'm looking for. That we have to always pass the ball out of the net. Always have to pass the ball out from the back. Kind of watching with um, a massive smirk in my face. Uh, our friends in English football right now, kind of scratching their heads and raising an eyebrow to West Ham under David Moyes and. 
you know, the concept that they can win a game without playing possession-based attacking football. It's as if people have forgotten that football hasn't all, didn't begin with Pep Guardiola and before that there was other ways to play the game. Um, I feel like a few Bundesliga clubs could probably do with a history lesson in that regard, particularly Stuttgart and Leipzig uh, leading up to this game. But yeah, you know, it was a match in which, in which Leipzig ultimately thumped Stuttgart. I think we basically suggested... Maybe not to the same extent, but I think we both kind of suggested in the previous show, Manu, that we th- we thought Leipzig were going to kind of bounce back after that opening day um, disappointment. Um, you know, maybe they were listening to the last couple of shows and you talking about Stuttgart as potential top six challengers uh, and thought, right, we need to burst his bubble. Uh, but yeah, no, Leipzig, Leipzig looked more like the team that we saw against Bayern. Uh, you know, Xavi Simmons was outstanding. Danny Olmo was, again untouchable uh, Openda got his goal Henriks as well by the way who I think if I'm not mistaken they've had two or three really solid games uh, to start the season so you know that's good news for Germany and Leipzig but uh, yeah I, I think it was a game in which Leipzig kind of showed that they're capable of really dismantling teams and even if Stuttgart are a decent team this season um, I don't think they're good enough to go toe-to-toe with Leipzig yeah I have to maybe add that I did think that Leipzig are going to win this game. I didn't think they would win it this comprehensively. And in fairness, though, it kind of felt like a game of two halves, Chris. Um, Stuttgart were the better side in the first half and, and dominated Leipzig in some ways. And it really was that really odd Henrik's goal that got Leipzig on course. And then Leipzig scored a second one very quickly that got chalked off, right, um, because of offside. Um, I you know, I actually wonder if you can walk us a little bit through that because like, Nübel does play that ball, but I guess that's not enough to, to be an active play, right, Chris? Um, but, you know, regardless, Leipzig then go on and win this game 5-1 with Stuttgart completely falling apart. But it did take a lucky bounce for, for Leipzig to essentially turn this game around, right? Yeah, it did. I, I I did a match report on this, um, and I thought that Leipzig were, well, I used the word impotent, um, because that's how poor I thought they were in that first half. And I think they were very frustrated as well, and that was pretty much epitomised by the way they reacted at half-time when they were screaming out for a uh, Yusef Poulsen um, penalty, which never came because it simply wasn't a penalty, um, because there was a foul before, uh, there was a foul before that, uh, that, that Poulsen had. Uh, well, that person committed, so that's why it wasn't a penalty. And you could say that they they got back into it a little lucky, I suppose, with um, with the way they they scored or the way they equalised. But I think, as Stefan's already alluded to, it's because of the high press, which Leipzig are very good at, and Stuttgart were good at during the first half. But that they pressurised the um, defence into making the mistake, and I think it was crucial once they got back in via that. We can suppose we can call it lucky or or well made or well deserved. They just hit a different gear, um, and I think that's probably due to Marco Rosa going mad at half time. Because I think sometimes if a feel if a team feel that they've been um, disaffected, they feel disaffected or, or they've got a grudge because they feel it didn't go that way. You can almost hone that siege mentality. That probably came at a really good time because he came out there out at half time flying and. Yeah, it's an old cliche, um, but it, it was a game of two halves. The, the offside's offside, um, and that's why I like in Germany. It's a quick, pretty quick decision. Um, it wasn't a protracted decision, uh, decision because I think that might have impacted Leipzig's style and play. The fact that they, I think we could all agree it could have been seven or eight in the end. There was that part between 45 minutes maybe and and when the, the fifth goal goes in 76, you know, there, there's that early 15, 20 minutes worth of play where they could have scored uh, a hatful. And Rosa said pre-match that, you know, he wanted to get back to Red Bull Arena. He said that they felt comfortable in their own stadium. Once they are back in their own house with their own fans, they'll make chances. I didn't think um, it was going to come true for that first 45. Stuttgart were excellent. Um, and I think they controlled Leipzig's press well. I think they almost said, well, we know what you're going to do, so we're going to counteract that. Um, but in the end, yeah, Leipzig were, were phenomenal. And that's what I've wanted to see from them um, for, for a while now. You, you want to see that. And I think, Stefan, you, 
did something either pre-season or very early on in the season. That are, are they a genuine title contender? I think under Marco Rosa, yeah, they are. Um, I think you mentioned their squad depth before. They're, they're really good squad depth. It's probably one of the best in the league position for position. Um, and yeah, it was good to see. It was good to see them to win like that. I know you guys have pushed or got as potential top six side, and you won't. You can't say they're not now just because they got overran by a very good attacking side. There's a lot in that first half that they can take away with that and, and, and build on. Odus um, will be like, yes, I know what's going on here and I know what went wrong. But it's good to see that because Bayern need a challenger. And we're going to get onto Dortmund in a bit, but Leipzig and, and potentially another club, Leverkusen, look like they could do that. I think, um, just going to jump in on that, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, at the point, I think the article you're referencing was something I actually wrote at the end of last season, actually, is, was looking at whether they could have you know, whether they kind of sleptwalked into being title challengers and nobody really noticed. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, I think they've got the debt. They've kind of got, they've, and I think perhaps more importantly, they've also got the mentality. You know, the way that Xavi Simmons um, just kind of was determined to score that goal towards the end of the game, the way that Danny Olmo was playing, the way that Opendis just hit the ground running. Um, they kind of feel like they've got just so much creativity in that team, which is in stark contrast to a team I'm sure we're about to talk about. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's I mean, how many goals has that Danny Olmos now got for the season already? Um, three, yeah, and and it's many games, three. I suppose three and four maybe. Yeah. And that, um, well, yeah, because he got a hat trick in the Super Cup, didn't he? He's obviously uh, it's a friendly, but still, still this season, and he's got his goal as well. Yeah, so, so it's, four it's listed as a comparative fixture, right? But um, did he he scored on match day one too? Did he score once or twice against Stuttgart? Well, do you know what? I know this really good website called Transfermarkt that keeps stats on people. <laughs> he, uh, he scored once. He scored once against Stuttgart. He scored the two one in six, on sixty third minute. He's got five yeah. goals in three games. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes, according to this weird website called Transfermarkt, who knows if they're reliable or not? Though this, who knows? Mm. They employ some weird people too. I heard. <laughs> I heard oh, the back end staff are a bit funny. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, but I, I mean, there's a really good point, though, that um, Chris raises there. Um, I remember in the second half of that game, the amount of players that did come on, and you're like, oh, yeah, they got this guy, too. They have this player as well. And, oh, yeah, remember this other guy that they also signed from Paul Salzburg who was also supposed to be really good? And the squad depth is unbelievable, guys. And, I mean, I guess, Stefan, that is really what you need if you want to challenge in all these fronts. Yeah, it is. And I think what's also important is that like, and I, again, this is something we can maybe draw contrast to when we talk about Dortmund, but I think yeah. the really important or perhaps the most impressive thing about Leipzig is that these players are not only plentiful and all talented in their own way, but Rosa's obviously built a squad that makes them very interchangeable. You know, you can swap in a Paulson or a Forsberg um, or, you know, a Xavi Simmons or an Openda. Henriks, a David Ralm, whatever, like he can swap in and out his fullbacks, his central defenders, his central midfielders, and and even his forwards, which cost a fortune. You know, there's from one week to the next, as Leipzig starts living is very different, and I think it is a real credit to Marco Rose's coaching that these players are all very happy slotting in. Uh, the team know what to do when Openda's on the pitch. They know what to do if Timo Werner's on the pitch. They know what to do if Paulson's on the pitch, etc. They just seem very kind of malleable. They seem very versatile in their tactics. Um, and that's just the one thing I keep coming back to. You know, that's the one thing I definitely picked up on Leipzig last season under Rosa. He he was just very good at creating this team, you know. And I guess that's the only way that you can kind of move on from guys like Christopher Nkunku or Shobislai or even, you know, Josco Guardiol. Uh, if you have a team that's you know, got all these interchangeable parts, then naturally if one leaves the club, then, you know, the club, the, the team's already well prepared to deal with them because perhaps from week one week to the next, they're used to, you know, Nkuko dropping off or Shobosly dropping out or Guardiola missing out for a game or two. So, yeah, they've they, they, maybe that's kind of the secret to why they haven't let this, you know, really turbulent summer transfer window get in the way of things. And yeah, it's a credit to Marco Rose's coaching. Um, maybe with that in mind, let's move on to Dortmund, uh, a team that did everything that Leipzig didn't. Guys, um, 
makers. I'm going to stick with you there. Um, that was pedestrian, puts it kindly. You know, there was a 30-second spell where I thought, okay, Dortmund are going to turn this around, and that was when Julian Brandt had one of his few moments of brilliance. Bino Gittens as well, right? Bino Gittens and Brandt have a chance at the death to to the score winner. Um, but, Chris, this was... This is just not it from Dortmund, is it? No, it's not. And I'm going to maybe build on what Matt said last week because I don't think much has changed. I don't know if teams have sort of not worked Dortmund out, but have decided how you know Dortmund are going to play. They're, they're primed on that quick, fast attack. So if you give them possession, say, come and break us down, I think they find it a little bit more difficult. Once again, this particular match week, They've had 66% possession of the ball um, and, you know, they've managed to get themselves like 14 shots and and that's it. But they've only been able to score one goal from that, um, whereas their opponents have got a lot less of the ball and they're getting the goal that they need. And then they're saying to Dortmund, well, come and break us down because you're not familiar with doing that. What you want to do is you, you want us to lose the ball high up the pitch and you want to break and you want to go in behind us with your can with your fast players, with your attackers and your great goal scorers. So we're not going to let you do that. And sometimes teams are very happy because Bochum aren't a part of the, um, aren't a part of the bus side, but you can adapt your play for one game. I think Dortmund are getting to that situation now where they now got to adapt their play for you know every single game that they play because teams know how to stop them. You just give them the ball and say, come and come and play against us. And, that's where I think Dortmund are finding it really difficult. But it's a, obviously it's a mini derby game. It's mini derby for Dortmund because they'll say that Schalke is their big uh, derby match. But for Bochum, it's it's another strong display against Dortmund. Um, and I'm sure they're going to be very happy. But I, I just find it frustrating as someone who likes to watch Dortmund play um, that it's, and Matt said this as well. I think you said it as well, Manu. Every week, uh, Edin Terzic comes out and says the right things, but he's saying the same things week in, week out. At some point, it's got to change. Um, and I don't I don't mean he changes by he gets sacked. I don't think that at all. I just think Dortmund are going to have to be really clever now because everybody knows how they play. And you could argue everybody knows how Bayern play, but Bayern have got such a good side and they've got such good and players in different positions where if it's not going quite well, they've got the quality, they've got the flair, and they've got the ability to, to maybe have a bit of a plan B. Um, I know we're going to get on to Tuchel Ball and is a little bit boring, but they're able to change and swap their play. They're able to they're able to be pedestrian and then step it up again and come back down if they want to. I don't see Dortmund have got that ability at the minute. And whilst they've got some really good players, um, and they've got players that you can go and they can take the game to you. I mean, in the middle there, they've got... Um, Emre Chan, they've got Sabitzer as well, then the front three, um, and they've, they've obviously got their, their wide uh, wing-back players. But I know how Dortmund are going to play, so don't let them play that way. I I'm not a coach in a Bundesliga, and I think every coach in a Bundesliga understands that. And Yeah, I mean, some of the statistics for Dortmund. I mean, they did lead the XG 1.5-1-1 uh, over Bochum, but... Um, XG can be so misleading in many ways. So I'll give you another stat here, guys. Um, Bochum had 11 to 10 shots um, or goal attempts and 6 to 3 shots on target over Dortmund. Um, and they did give Dortmund the ball. You know, they were happily to give Dortmund the ball. And Stefan, you look at these stats and, okay, Dortmund, we, we, we both predicted that Dortmund would have a hard time with Bochum if we both know that they will have a hard time in Bochum because of the way Bochum play, then the coaching staff at Dortmund should do as well. And yet you just kind of feel this team wasn't prepared for, for the challenge that they were facing there. Yeah, I think another stat that's worth mentioning is I think Bochum hit the woodwork at least twice, maybe three times over the course of the game. Um, one involving a truly superhuman save from Gregor Kobel. Um and, you know, I don't think any Dortmund fan would argue that Bochum could have quite easily won this game and probably deserved it. Um, look, in the previous show, we talked about the kind of post-mortem, well, the, I guess the second post-mortem of that clone game because you guys did a great job of breaking down in the, in the first episode of the week. But we kind of went into this game saying, you know, Bochum 
surely watch that game with Cologne and thought, right, that's exactly what we have to do. And it was more of the same issues. You know, I've, I've got Dortmund's pass maps open in front of me right now. And there's a huge curve. Like, like there's almost like this huge grin of a smiley face, which denotes the passing between Dortmund's back four. So a lot of passes from central defender to central defender to fullback to fullback. And then after that, there's just nothing. There's just basically this huge empty space in the middle of the park where Dortmund's midfield should be. And, you know, obviously Terzic tried to change things by bringing in Nemcha, hoping that would kind of shake things up. But, you know, it just hasn't really happened. And we're still kind of waiting for Sabitzer to kind of get going and to kind of show some dominating performances. But that's not happening just yet either. And, you know, I kind of tweeted this before we started recording, actually. But I went and actually kind of dug up the stats from last season um, for... You know how how well Bundesliga clubs react to going a goal down, and I basically was able to find that um, since Terzic became the club's head coach on a permanent basis at the start of last season, uh, Dortmund have gone behind in thirteen Bundesliga games, and they've only actually managed to win two of them, uh, which is a total of twenty nine points dropped, which includes Saturday's game, and. You know, you just kind of have to look at the way that he kind of, that Terzic kind of tried to manage his game. The fact that, you know, he left until the 81st minute to bring on Makuku, Ozkan and Bino Gittins. And it's it's just, as you guys said, as Chris said, you know, we could have just replayed Matt's analysis from last week's game um, because it is just more of the same. And the thing that keeps kind of standing out to me is that Dortmund obviously have great players and when it works, it works great but this whole kind of experiment with Terzic kind of relies on the hope that you know, Dortmund can kind of um, what's the word minimise their the tactics necessary to, to play in these games uh, and just kind of hope that you know, Terzic can put out 11 players and they'll figure out on the pitch and I'm sure they obviously do tactical training I'm sure he does a lot of training work I'm not saying he doesn't do anything but the thing that really stands out to me is there's just really very few instances I can think of watching Dortmund since Terzic has become head coach where he's made a really astute tactical change or he's flipped his formations at half time or you know he's brought a different type of player on to shake things up um, and as I kind of said on Twitter the perfect example of this is that striker situation where if things aren't working for Dortmund, Terzic will just pull Haller off and stick Makuku on. And he'll play them in the exact same position, in the exact same system, even though Makuku is about four feet shorter than Haller. And in in what possible situation do you expect him to be able to get on the end of balls or to create chances if the team have been playing for 80 minutes with the idea of trying to get the ball to Haller, which I'm assuming is about six foot two or six foot three? Um and then you replace him with a guy who's probably about, I, I honestly don't know how tall Makuku is. I'm assuming he's about 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, maybe. Maybe it's, a bit, maybe it's a bit rude, but... 5'8". Okay, 5'8", there we go. <laughs> so, the, 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 but the point is that one's a kind of target man, one's a kind of shorter penalty box striker. And where we just talked about Leipzig, where they can go from playing someone like Poulsen to playing someone like Timo Werner week to week, and the team as a result shifts the way they play... You know, just kind of think about the way that Leipzig played in that Super Cup with Timo Werner. Now, Werner didn't. Werner wasn't playing even really as a striker. He was playing as a wide forward, and he was stretching the line. You know, every time Leipzig got the ball, they thumped into that top left corner because they knew Timo Werner was making that run. He'd pick up the ball, and the whole team could move up the pitch. When they played with team uh, with Paulson on Friday, they play a different, completely different style of football. It's far more central. He's trying to play off other players or Pendas up there with him alongside it. They completely shift their tactics from one week to the next, depending on who's playing. I just don't get the impression that Dortmund are capable of doing that, you know. And it's 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 just kind of it just feels like they're just kind of picking up players, slotting them into very generic roles, and they're trying to they're kind of hoping the players will do the rest. And it means that Terzic just does not have a plan B. And when they come up against a clone or a Bochum who are quite happy to sit with two banks of four and frustrate and really you know put a spanner in the works of that plan a it means that Dortmund don't have a plan b and they, and, and they will and they have continued to struggle so look 
Cologne and Bochum are a really tough way to start the season. Um, I think they're both really good teams. They're both very good defensive teams. Bochum in particular against Dortmund are always going to be up for it. So, you know, there's no reason why Dortmund can't kind of shake these results off and kind of get all of the season. But as we've kind of said in our season previews, um, you know, Dortmund did well to spend the money they got from Bellingham quite wisely. I think they've picked up some decent players this summer. But, and I, and I kind of wrote this like a few weeks ago, I guess, in my newsletter. If Dortmund are going to struggle in the Bundesliga this season, I do feel like it's going to be down to Terzic's tactics and his management rather than individual players not stepping up. I think if they give up 15 shots to a team like Leipzig or Leverkusen or Bayern in their own box when they've had 60-plus um, possession, I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble this season. Um, like a serious amount of trouble because they can't they can't have the ball that much and still allow another team to outperform them in their own area, which is a real danger. I think. Yeah, can you imagine Louis Openda getting Louis Openda and Simmons and Olmo and these guys getting fifteen shots on Dortmund from inside of eighteen yards as well? Yeah. It's all right if you're restricting players, you know, shooting from distance, but these are. These are well-worked opportunities, not just in and around the box, but considerably in the box as well. Some just outside the six-yard box, most of them in between the six and 18-yard box. It's not like they're making... It's not like teams are getting to the edge of the box and then shooting. They're able to get past that and work intricate play in behind the back four. Um, the, the right side of their defence against Bochum had a terrible time, I thought. Um, in fact, that right-hand side did, if you take if you look at Hummels, Wolf and Sabitzer, I don't think they had a particularly good game. So... If you can target that area, and if you're a fast side like Leipzig are or like um, Leverkusen certainly are now, if you can get that ball, like Stefan said, in behind into the into into the channel area, and you've got someone fast enough to get through, I, I do think they will be in trouble. And if they continue to play like this, the strength of the Bundesliga that we've seen so far, I know it's only match day two. There's a crazy suggestion. I think they'll struggle to get top four if they continue like this, especially as Stefan's already highlighted. If your plan B is just to swap out the same as plan A and, and not change anything, it's not really a different plan. Mm, I mean, the, the plan B now seems to sign Josef Paulsen from Leipzig, uh, which is a crazy report. It's like, okay, well, so if Halea doesn't work, we just stick another 12 forward up there. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Um, I think uh, it was Pullman, um, who was who tweeted earlier today saying that Dortmund have to realize that there is uh, other leagues than the Bundesliga to sign players from, which is a statement that I agree with. It just doesn't seem very... I, I know what Peel's plan is. You know, he's told us as much at the training camp in the US. Um, I know what his plan is and what his thinking is and why he's targeting certain pieces and why he's doing it. But it just feels, I just feel not, I don't feel inspired by it. Uh, and I, I contrast that with what with what Max Ebel has done at Leipzig, um, you know, and this, the pieces that he brought in from, yes, from France, but also, you know, Sabi, Harvey Simmons was, was a great player in the Netherlands, for example. Um, it just seems more cohesive and more thoughtful and less reactionary in some ways, if that makes sense. And you can even contrast that with this next team that we want to talk about, Bayer Leverkusen, um, who I believe have... Is it announced already? Talas is coming, right, Stefan? I think that's that's been announced, or it at least hinted that it will be announced. But I feel like Simon Rolfes um, and Javi Alonso have done a much more creative job putting together a team. And yes, it's only match day two, but this Leverkusen side feels miles ahead of Dortmund at the moment. Mm, yeah, Nathan Teller, they've picked up the the, the winger. Um, there was also a bizarre story in Scotland that Robert Andrick was on his way to Celtic, which I had to <laughs> spoke to someone at the club about and then tweeted out. They were, I, that, that, was, that suggestion was met with a huge amount of laughter, I'll put it that way. Um, so we could, I think we could just about confirm that that's not going to happen. But... Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think Leverkusen fans must be on cloud nine at this moment in time. Although, if I'm not mistaken, that expression is actually different in Germany, Manu. I remember someone explaining this to me when I was working on Deutsche Welle. sieben, which is cloud seven. Don't yeah, ask Germany me why it's six. seven versus nine. <laughs> I've never understood why that's the case. Uh, but I remember I used to say that in the Deutsche Welle offices and my German colleagues would say, no, that's not right. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's cloud nine. Uh, but um, yeah, sorry. Anyway, um, yeah, I thought Leverkusen were outstanding in this game. Um, you know, we kind of talked about in the lead up to the match about how you know it's going to be two very decent teams. It could be a tight match, um, and I mean, Gladbach had their chances, um, but it it was just it just felt like such a relentless onslaught from Leipzig, as from Leipzig from Leverkusen from the start. You know. In possession, this Leverkusen team basically become almost like a 3-2-5 in a sense. You know, you've got Boniface playing as the kind of target man. You've got Hoffman and Verts playing off him. And then Grimaldo and Fringpong offer so much width. And as we saw from the first goal and, uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the third goal. Um, actually, maybe the second goal. Um what even even if you can kind of contain those five players, you then have Brad Xhaka behind them, who's just more than happy to play long balls, through balls, you know, uh, hitting long shots. He, at, at times in this game, he was basically playing like a quarterback in like an NFL game. Um, I mean, I just thought he was outstanding. Um, you know, Florian Verts again and again and again showing why he's such a remarkable young talent in the, in the way that he's just so he just oozes so much kind of class and technical you know, proficiency, I don't know the word for it, but we were actually talking during the game in the WhatsApp group and I was kind of saying to you, Mario, it was like, you know, it, if you actually think about it, he's such a unique player in German football at the moment because there's so very few um, who actually can play with that degree of, you know, he doesn't play like a typical German player, I guess the word I'm looking for. And, you know, you actually made a really good, you actually pulled up an interesting comparison to a player at Schalke um, who, who, who is a bit like him, but, you know, if you if you put Jamal Jamal Musiala to one side and incorrectly, I think attribute him to the English football system. Verts just kind of feels like this kind of um, anomaly, you know, um, in terms of the way he plays. And you know, we're talking about how he kind of reminds us of the, of the, kind of a young Mesut also perhaps a Verde Bremen or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. I just. This Leverkusen team just kind of look unstoppable. I mean, I know that they aren't unstoppable, and you know we had some subscribers in the and in, in the gig pressing forum chatting about it and asking whether they think it'd be a they, they could be title challengers. And I still think, and I think it was still keep, still actually quite evident in this game that despite how good Leverkusen are going forward, they still have Herdeki, they still have Jonathan Ta, um, in defence who can who aren't, in my opinion, you know, title challenging pedigree but mm. you know as things stand they look outstanding and they've had two really tough games to kick off the season they've done really really well in both of them yeah I think the the more impressive result is the the Leipzig result of match day one right which is really shows their pedigree um but yeah I think you know the the, the Ritz factor is really interesting and you know they are going to hang on to him this summer there's been of course, some suggestions that he could go to to a late Man City move. I don't think that's happening. But um, I guess, Chris, we were in Leverkusen a few years ago together and spoke to Lukas Radetzky. And as nice of a guy he is, we've always identified him as sort of as a weakness. They did sign this goalkeeper from Man United, um, Kova. Um, and I thought at the time that this is potentially to give Radetzky a kick up his butt and tell him that if he doesn't get it together um, there's another guy waiting to play for him um, so that's maybe one weakness address defensively Ta okay well Bayern you know won the game today with Upamecano doing the best the best uh, impression to sabotage everything I guess with all of that in mind what do you make of Leverkusen after two games I mean this is a team that Looks really, really impressive. I know you don't look at the table until match day 10, but where's this all going to go from here? Yeah, I, I I try not to look at the table until match day 10, and people say, that's, that's quite late. It is quite late. It's late for a reason, because I think a lot can happen after that. 
um, or a lot can happen after that that has gone before teams can fall off. But I, I, I like the way you identified that last weekend was particularly a good example of how good by Labour Cousin are. A completely in agreement. But this is a, a match day where previously, especially when we were there a couple of years ago and, and we spent a good weekend around the club, that this result wouldn't have happened. Remember, we saw them play very well against Juventus and then absolutely collapsed against Cologne in um, on the Saturday. Now they're starting to put together, and they're running club the match days in, but last season as well, under Javi Alonso, they're starting to be able to match a good result with another good result and another good result after that. And after that, they're able to build uh, a winning momentum. And this is what showed this, you know, this particular match day and, I don't want to hark back to Dortmund, but I think Leverkusen had the vast majority of possession. I think they, they gave, on the hour mark for about 10 minutes, they looked a bit iffy, um, as in like they, they couldn't get control of the game as, as much as they had previously. But um, they were able to regain control of possession and able to regain their, their footing in the match. And they're a team that tend to have the ball quite a bit and do quite a bit with it. Um, I think the test for them is going to come maybe if they, they get the ball less. But then I think Alonso set them up to be able to play fast as well um, and, and to be able to say to a team, well, you have the ball and we'll just pick you off. I think I think they've got the wherewithal to do that. Um, like what Stefan said, I'm in agreement. Their back line and what you said there, Manu, um, their goalkeeper in particular, as nice as a fella he is, I, I think he is a little bit error-prone on occasion and... We've seen not just in the Bundesliga and, and and not just in leagues, but cup competitions around Europe. If you want to win, you you need a good keeper because in a league situation, a good keeper can be worth anywhere between you know, nine and fifteen points a season for you. I don't know uh, whether Lucas is worth that for them, although he's a superb guy and I could talk to him all day. Um, but he he's looked a little bit better maybe already. Um, I just like the way they're playing under. Um, Alonso and and the the players they're signing as well and and the way they're gelling quickly and obviously Burtz is is might put a lot of weight on his shoulders to say he's a generational talent but he's certainly a superb player um, and one that I think they should do go all out to keep um, they probably won't eventually because the the smell of the money will will tilt their head at some point but if they can keep him for as long and they're now mixing. Um, they're now mixing their team with a little bit of experience, which I think Alonso brings that and he knows that you can have good young players, but you need some experience and, and they've got that as well. Uh, there are title challenges potentially. Um, I think we're way too close into the season to say that yet, but um, the way they're playing at the minute, why would they not be if they carry on this way? Yeah, just to give you some stats here, guys, they had 57% possession, um, which, you know, that doesn't mean much, but one, the one thing that stands out to me, they had 706, 706 passes over Gladbach's 453 passes, um, and they completed 89% of those 706 passes. Devin, that's a crazy amount of number. That's like the sort of numbers that you see from teams like Bayern Munich. That's Javi Alonso football at its finest, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And like I was saying, it was such a dominant performance. They basically pitched up on Gladbach's kind of 18-yard line and said, you know, you're good, you guys aren't going any further. And it was it was almost like a training match at times. It was attack versus defense. Obviously, Gladbach had some chances, don't get me wrong. But I think that's kind of the way that, obviously, Xabi Alonso likes to play his football. It's the way he likes to see his teams play his football. He's not gig-impressing. He's not up and down the pitch. He's very much, no, we're going to control the ball. We're going to sit on the halfway line and you guys can do your best to get past us, but this is the way this game's going to play out. And it's, you know, it's different. Uh, I I actually think it's probably a better style of football. You know, we've talked about getting impressed at times and sometimes a lot of German, a lot of Bundesliga sides can look like, you know, 11 headless chickens running around the park. Um, Alan, Alonso has obviously brought a huge degree of, um, you know, um, what's the word? I, well, consistency is one thing, but I guess discipline is the, the one the word I was looking for there. Um, you know, it probably wasn't lost for a lot of people that you know Gerardo Siona was on the opposite side of the, the opposite dugout there, and he was more or less powerless to kind of do anything about it. Obviously, dealing with a squad of far fewer star players, but 
Yeah, it was it was really impressive. I mean, we do kind of have to taper our expectations a little bit because, you know, as we all know, Leverkusen are kind of the kings of beginning these hype trains every season and we all get excited and then they, you know, they, they, shoot, their own, they shoot themselves in the foot one way or another. But I'm just kind of really intrigued to... I'm already kind of looking ahead to that clash with Bayern uh, at the Allianz Arena after the international break because, you know, Leverkusen have Darmstadt uh, at home, which you would think should be three points without a huge amount of issues. And then Xabi Alonso has, you know, what, two weeks to kind of work on his squads in preparation for this Bayern game. And, you know, I'm not saying that if they beat Bayern, they're title contenders, because even then I don't think that's the case. And as we might go on to talk about in a moment, you know, this Bayern team maybe aren't uh, as unbeatable as they used to be in previous seasons. But I, I'm already kind of looking ahead to that. And I think that itself is quite an interesting kind of hype in the sense that we're now thinking, wow, what can Leverkusen do against Bayern Munich? even at the Allianz Arena. I, uh, I know I mentioned this last week, but I think it's another good example that Javi Alonso has played. Uh, well, Javi Alonso was identified by Jose Mourinho as a coach that could have it all because he's played at Real Madrid, he's played at Liverpool, and he's played at Bayern Munich, and he's been coached by Mourinho Benitez and Pep Guardiola, three of, you know, one of the, three of the best coaches, you could say, of the last 10, 15 years of football. And, He's, a, he's played in those systems and now he understands them as a manager um, or as a head coach. And I think that's why he's slightly different than what Leverkusen have had before. I, I'd say if anyone can stop that massive collapse, but I think was it was a couple of seasons ago when we were talking, can they go into the winter break, top of the league, and are oh, they going to win? And oh, we're all excited. And then they just absolutely blew it. Um, I think Alonso's a coach with experience on the pitch and off the pitch, you can maybe help with that. Um, I'm going to caveat though that I think, I don't think they will win the league, but I think they could build towards it if they keep the best players. Yeah. It's also worth noting, Chris, because that, that quote does get thrown around a lot, but what also, Jose Mourinho also said in that, he's like, also, you have to remember that his father was a successful player in his own right. He was also a head coach as well. He coached Real Sociedad uh, in Spain, you know, so... He's obviously came through. His dad's a head coach. He's had some of the best head coaches in the last 20, 30 years. Um, and yeah, he's doing, a, he's doing an incredible job. Um, so I guess you just kind of see, have to kind of wait and see what this, if, if, if the sky's the limit for this guy and his Leverkusen team. Um, but it's exciting times, that's for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I actually used that quote for my, my newsletter that I wrote um, on Thursday. And I build a little bit on that, um, what Leverkusen have done in the offseason to put the squad together. And it's it's been exciting. Uh, before we move on to Bayern, real quick, really, really quick. Um, yes, Union Berlin were exciting. Um, another really big win for them. Sky seems to limit. Um, don't want to talk too much about this game because I think we have another game that we really want to go into depth. But Chris and Stefan, quick thoughts, one each. Union Berlin, they look really, really good, don't they? Did you want to go first, Chris? <laughs> uh, yeah, they do. So I, I wrote an article on this midweek, um, and it was pretty much based on the chat that we had last week, which was um, the most surprising thing about Union Berlin now is that they shouldn't surprise you anymore because they are excellent both on the pitch and, and off it. And um, I expanded a little bit more on that on my article but yeah i i love i mean you know me man i love going there it's a proper old school football stadium and they play some really nice football i'm a massive fan of union berlin of the club of the obviously the city like the city capital city um but the area as well their history is, is very intriguing their ddr history and yeah they they're a superb they should be everybody's second club unless you are of course union berlin fan and then they should be a first club yeah, I think it's also worth pointing out that not only did last week their opponents miss two penalties, but in this game, they actually went a man down and then Darmstadt equalised and that didn't seem to stop them at all. So, you know, they're kind of like the Terminator at this moment in time. No one seems capable of stopping them. Um, they're just absolute mentality monsters, as we would say. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just really impressed with them. I think, yeah, I mean, what, what else can we say about them? We, we, we I, I, sorry, Stefan. I was going to say, in the past, I've always said, oh, kind of, I mean, this is no disrespect, kind of smaller team. 
when they outperform what their expectations in the league? Can they manage their European commitment? Well, they managed the European Conference League pretty well and the Europa League. My main worry is would they be able to balance Champions League football? But they're bringing in players to be able to balance that and domestic football. And I think that's where they're going to have more success than, than maybe some of the smaller teams like Freiburg have had in the past if they've gone into Europe. They've not been able to to balance it well. And that's the exciting thing about Union Berlin for me is the way they approach football off the pitch, who they recruit and, and, and everything. And yeah, I, I'm hoping to get over there for a Champions League game because um, although it'll be a different stadium, I think the noise will be exception or it'll be exceptionally loud and it'll be just as good as it is when they're at home. Yeah. I, I, I think the Olympia Stadium will be just fine for that game, for those games. Um it's a big it's a big game uh venue of as I said many times, I think for big games it's a great stadium. Um but yeah, I think Union Berlin are for real. Um uh, I think we have to stop looking at uh numbers that suggest that they're not because I think they're just redefining those numbers and um you know, as long as they're playing like this there's eight goals now in two games, um I think what else need to do you need to say? Um, all right, the big game. This is the Sunday night fixture, closing it out. Bayern Munich defeat Augsburg 3-1. Um, I tipped a 4-0 win. I think, Stefan, you had 3-1, didn't you? Wasn't that your prediction? Uh, quite possibly, yeah. I think I did quite well in the predictions, actually, this, this yeah, week. Yeah, you did. Uh, Dortmund were the only... me greatly. <laughs> Dortmunds were the only team who burst my coupon, uh, which is perhaps why I went so hard on them a couple of mo- moments ago. Uh, but yeah, I had I had Bayern three one, um, and hey, it was it was a pretty straightforward game for Bayern. To be perfectly honest with you, I thought Augsburg started quite well. Um, you know, they did a good job of kind of breaking Bayern's kind of pressing trap because Bayern didn't bother pressing. Uh, they were playing quite narrow. And I thought Augsburg were doing a good job of kind of playing the kind of long diagonals. And it was all going perfectly well until Augsburg scored an own goal and conceded a penalty. And, you know, you could be the best drilled team in the world. But if you give two goals away at Allianz Arena, then nine out of ten times you're losing that game. Um, and, you know, I I must admit, I am kind of I kind of walked away from that game thinking two things. I thought, gosh, that was boring. Um, and you know I kind of want my Sunday evening back but then I also kind of thought this team are beginning to look a lot more like a Thomas Tuchel side Um, and I don't just mean that because they're boring (laughs) I mean in the sense that like you know Tuchel's obviously trying to get him to play very differently Uh, I thought it was really interesting how he basically played a 4-3-3 in the sense that he had Kane, Sani and Gnabry playing as a very tight front line Um, you know Sani and Gnabry I mean the three of them could have held hands at one point in the way that they were kind of pressing that uh, Augsburg defence and then he had Coleman playing almost like a kind of left-sided central midfielder and I thought that worked quite well actually because Coleman was coming deep he was picking up the ball he was running by players but it also allowed Coleman to cut inside and offer more space for Davies to really fire down that wing and I think this is maybe the, you know, Davies now picked up at least two or three assists maybe already this season, uh, which is maybe more than he did all last season, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it hasn't really quite worked as well on the right-hand side. I thought Masrui actually had a pretty of a... It, it, was, it, it was okay. He got kind of knocked over for um, Augsburg's really big chance uh, when Demirovic kind of ran through on goal in the first half and really should have made it 1-0 to the visitors, but Besides that, I, I feel like Masrui is just a maybe a, a, a little bit off the pace in terms of Barnes transitions. You know, more often than not, when the ball gets to him, his passing isn't... It's, it's just simply not as good as Davies, to be honest with you, which is perhaps an unfair thing to judge anyone by, but it's just not as tight, it's not as precise. You can see Sani and Gnabry kind of rolling their eyes every time they try and play 1-2 with him. Uh, I thought Conrad Limer actually did a better job in an attacking sense when he came on it right back, but it's 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 interesting that we're kind of now seeing this four three three. We're seeing Davies and Masrui kind of play off those uh, central midfielders a lot more. So, you know, it's it's a Bayern team that are perhaps a little more boring, but they're also perhaps a little more Tuchel like. And you know, I guess it's up to Bayern fans to decide whether that's a fair sacrifice to make if it ultimately gets them somewhere. But that was my kind of main conclusion from this game. Yeah, I thought it was brutally 
brutally efficient. Um, the first goal was a present by Augsburg. Um, I guess that's the Swabians uh, paying allegiance when they're visiting the capital, which is, I guess, fair enough. Uh, but the second goal, I mean, Chris, that's as clear of a penalty as it comes. Um, the only thing I guess you can explain to us is why it took so long. No, I can't. <laughs> really yeah, can't. Yeah. <laughs> because, I, honestly, the, the Bundesliga is really fast. Um, Premier League, and from what I've seen in La Liga as well, they can be quite slow. Um, I, I didn't think it would take as long as it did, to be honest, because it was pretty clear-cut. Um, but they they do check a lot of things as well. So if you, if you and I think, oh, well, that's a nailed-on penalty, well, they might actually be checking. is Was there a foul in a build-up? Is there offside? Was the second phase offside? Is the third phase offside? Um, so it can, whilst it may look clean cut, there might be other factors around that. And it's normally the other factors around. I personally couldn't see any other factors around. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was absolutely nailed on. And then of course it's a tremendous conversion, isn't it? Um, one thing Harry Kane can do, you can take a penalty. Uh, I think everybody who's ever seen England or Tottenham play will know that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, just nine World Cups. Well, that's 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 an English thing, as listeners will know when it comes to international football and Welsh. So, um, I can happily say that's an England thing. Um, but a little like what um, Stefan has said there. Now, I'm going to try and be a bit nicer this week, Leonard, because I've got accused of being a little bit down on Bayern, even though they played quite well. Um, I, I'm in agreement with Stefan. There is a bit of a trade-off to have if you're a Bayern fan because. I think we all look back with rose-tinted glasses a bit to how they used to play under Pep Guardiola, um, and and how tremendous football that was. And you know, they, I think they uh, sewed the title up one year by March, I think it was, or late March. Um, and Tuchel's football is a little bit boring. Is probably the right word, but the the key word is also efficient. Um, and I, I was glad to see that they just stepped it up a couple of gears. Um, in this game, when it did look a little bit flat and it looked a bit like they were going to, you know, not grind out a result, but they are happy with it being 2-0. Um, you know, wh- why go and, and score five if you don't have to? I think sometimes that's the way Tuchel plays football. Um, certainly was when, you know, he, he went with Chelsea to the Champions League final. Um, it's the, what's the bare minimum we can get to get there? And I don't say that in a bad way, it's just the way it is. Um, but I was glad to see them up their pace and, and play some really good football towards the end. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Chris. Sorry if you don't mind me jumping in, Manu, because what people forget is that, yeah, Pep Guardiola entertained every week, but he also got nowhere near a Champions League final at Bayern. And you then look at Nagelsmann, who tried to basically build a squad purpose-built for challenging in the Champions League last season, and they talked about that when they brought in Sadio Mane. Okay, maybe he didn't want Sadio Mane, but he obviously looked at what he had to play with and said, right, well, I guess I'm building this strikerless formation and maybe it'll work in the Champions League where we're up against Man City or something and it absolutely sucked week to week in the Bundesliga because it meant Bayern didn't have a number 9 and we all know how that just turned into this media storm and ultimately ended up costing Nagelsmann his job and you know more often than not unless you're someone like Jupp Heynckes who's basically Bavarian royalty at this point um, and has the kind of you know he has that reputation and that stock to rely on um, you're kind of being asked to kind of um, achieve the impossible Bayern in that sense because on the one hand you have to create a, a system that is open and attacking and overwhelming opponents week in week in the Bundesliga to entertain you know what 80,000 fans at the Allianz Arena not to mention you know a whole course of the media and ex-players and pundits and Bayern chairman and board members etc but you also then have to at the same time build a grizzled, resilient, defensive team that can sit deep and soak up pressure against the likes of Manchester City or whoever else in the Champions League. And, you know, some head coaches have tried uh, plan A, some have tried plan B, and what they tend to find is they can build a team that can win the Champions League, but before they even get there, people are complaining too much about it in the Bundesliga. Or you can build a team that's very good in the Bundesliga, but then when you get to later stages, the Champions League it falls apart, which Pep Guardiola found. So Tuchel's obviously going for the same kind of maybe system or tactic that Nagelsmann took, which was, I don't really care if it doesn't work in the Bundesliga. I'm trying to build a team here to win the Champions League. The question is whether he'll still be in charge 
in March or April when his team, like Nagelsmann's, which people forget, was undefeated when he got sacked in the Champions League. Uh, but that didn't stop, that didn't save his job ultimately. So that's that's the kind of weird kind of thing that Bayern managers have to, or head coaches have to deal with. And it's interesting watching Tuchel now take off in his own adventure in that regard. I think it's really fascinating to see how this team's static is changing with Harry Kane being there. And um, I do think that Kane makes them more efficient. I think that last goal um, epitomizes that, right? The, the, the Serenal, um, that when they go forward, they now seem to have a, there's now a clear focal point, right? And that finish, by the way, is sublime. The assist, the build-up is great. Uh, the one-two that Davies and Coleman play. And Coleman, by the way, I thought well, they had a really great game too. And I think Coleman is going to maybe be sneakily one of those players that will really benefit from from Kane being there. But I just think it's it's interesting how this team is becoming more and more efficient. I think the only caveat I would throw out there, guys, is that this was Augsburg. Um, no disrespect to Augsburg, but they offered the first two goals. Um, you know, the first one was a present. The second one was a present, in my opinion, too. That handball is idiotic at best. And um, that third goal, yeah, it was fantastic. But then you also have to remember that Upamecano gifted Augsburg a goal as well. Um, you know, it, is, it isn't it is illegal to walk, to, to pull, play someone offside. Maybe someone needs to tell Upamecano that. He just stands there. I mean, that is, that is a massive defensive mistake in my books anyways. So they, I think this team is far from being perfect. And we've mentioned it already. Leverkusen is coming at some point, right? Um, and I think that will offer a very different challenge. And I guess my point is here that as brutally efficient as they are against Bremen or Augsburg, and yes, Harry Kane had a perfect start, three goals in two games. I, I thought his last goal, as I said, was brilliant. But the real tests are still coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about this after the game. I thought, despite the fact that Bayern had a very easy afternoon, I thought McCann still looked like Bambi on ice for the most part. You're right, he gave away the goal, but he also basically passed the ball straight to uh, uh, Augsburg forward and maybe in the 50th minute or something before Bayern kind of went on to wrap the game up. Um, and, you know, obviously Tuchel's still trying to come to terms with that. He's obviously kind of still swapping between him, Kim and De Ligt. He's still not happy with that. Uh, as I said, Masrui still looks far from convincing for me. And to kind of top things all off, Tuchel spent the pre- and post-match kind of TV interviews complaining, still complaining that he doesn't have a number six. So there's there's still a lot of work to be done here. Bayern don't look at the finished article by any means. And yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, Manu. People have said, look, that Super Cup was just a kind of pre-season friendly. But as we talked about on the kind of reaction show, I thought, while it may have been a while it may be considered a preseason friendly in on in, in theory, both teams obviously tried very hard to win that game. And the fact of the matter is that Leipzig played through them time and time again. And, you know, as we said, you know, if we come back from this kind of um if we come back from this kind of um um international break that's coming up, um fall <laughs> I've just kind of double checked there when I was when I was trying to fumble with my words there who Bayern had before the international break and of course it's Gladbach. Uh, so, you know, if they stumble against Gladbach and then they have a very tough Leverkusen tie to play after that, then, you know, it might be battle stations and FC Hollywood all over again. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't want to be too harsh on Bayern because, you know, we've got a lot of Bayern fans who listen to this. I don't want it to sound like we just kind of laugh and complain about them week in, week out. I thought, I, I do think there's a lot of positives to take from us. I think tactically they look far more astute and far more like they were following what Tuchel's been trying to teach them in training. Um but it just remains to be seen whether it's going to work out over the course of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to just point out that we have um, Seb Stafford Blow on later this week to talk about Harry Kane and the impact that he had on Bayern Munich. And, you know, there is an entire show devoted to Bayern Munich and Harry Kane coming. So for Bayern fans thinking that we just complain about Bayern Munich on the show, this isn't quite correct. We have something special planned. So, um, yeah. I think that there's a lot of positives to take away from this and there is a great podcast coming your way. Uh, guys, we're out of time. I know this time flew when you have uh, three excellent people around. It's it's fantastic um, to discuss this and Chris, it was awesome having you back on. Um, 
So with that in mind, where can people find you, Chris? And what have you been up to? Well, well they can find me on uh, most social media platforms, apart from Instagram, on uh, Chris78Williams. I am on Instagram, but it's private because it's my... Um, it's it's my it's my little piece of privacy, but you can find me on Blue Sky Threads, uh, Twitter at that address, um, and I've also got Destination Bundesliga, which is uh, my Substack, um, and you can find the links to that in on all those social media profiles. Uh, so if you like to read my opinion on stuff, please subscribe. It's going to be free for the entire season. Awesome. Well, guys, that's it from this week's show. As always, this is brought to you by Bet Online. We'll be back later this week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.